welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who, if combined, would make one hell of a woodworker. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 304 for April 11th, 2016. I'm back, baby. On uh, today's show, we're talking about jointing woes, router planes, breadboard ends, and our feature topic, how has video production impacted our woodworking? All that and more coming up. First, let's thank a few special people, very special folks, Scott Barron, uh, Ruben Villanueva, and Joshua Mann. Now, Scott made a request. He said that his kid really loves the old Tom's tips and is sad that we no longer put that in the show. Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't even have a copy of that. I looked on my hard drive. I'm like, where's the Tom's tips clip? So I'm going to have to dig a little bit deeper. I might have it somewhere, but Scott, if I can, I will play that for you because it is a classic. Without the tip, isn't there, isn't there some law against that? Yes. And we're going to break it because who cares about the tips? It's Don't just we about... have to pay royalties to Tom every time we play that? No, it's my song. I made it. Oh, well, that's right. <laughs> it's that's just true. his name. That's all. <laughs> uh, but you can uh, help out too, like those folks did. And we'll mention your name at the beginning of the show. Just go to woodtalkshow.com. Look for those donation links. And uh, yeah, we'll thank you. And uh, thank you profusely because we really appreciate the support. It helps us keep going. I could put a few bucks in the pockets of these two fine gentlemen with me and uh, gives everybody encouragement. Let's us know you love us. I mean, money isn't everything, but it does say you love someone when you give them money. It, it does so happen that I'm actually answering the question of somebody that donated. So see that <laughs> I'll let you read between the lines about how quickly you get your question. Priority answered. service, baby. That's what you're paying for. Not really, but it can happen. <laughs> All right, so let's move into what's on the bench. Um, you know, last week I, I did have the doctor's appointment that I just couldn't move, so that's and it wasn't due to a splinter; it was due to uh, allergies. <laughs> so yeah, allergies are not as fun as splinters. At least they can just quickly get rid of a splinter. Allergies just kind of like uh, kick you in the butt, no matter what you do. Um, so yeah, uh, this past week has been pretty awesome. We actually had the guild apprentice come into the shop. Uh, so his name is David. The guy's very good. He's uh, he, he listens to directions, which is really all you can ask of an apprentice. Uh, is he on the line now? He's he's actually he's sitting on my lap, sitting right by your elbow. <laughs> yes, he's like teach me everything. Uh, no, he, he's a really cool guy. Uh, really only interested in woodworking. I mean, he, he's interested in in the business aspects just out of curiosity. But he's not a YouTuber. He's just interested in learning the techniques. Uh, really great guy. Super nice and uh, very skilled. Glad to have him in the shop. But as is always the case when you have these situations, there can sometimes be miscommunications. There's little always bumps in the road. And, you know, every situation kind of dictates how big those bumps get. And you never really know. So we had a big bump last week. And it's one of those, you know, it happens. And, And this is why this we're doing this whole thing is because uncovering mistakes like this is really helpful to a person to, to identify where these problem areas are. So we were building the frames for the Barrister bookcase, and I was ready to do the dry assembly. We had done a little bit of routing, and we're actually at the point where we're getting ready to glue up, but of course, dry assembly first. So as I'm doing the dry assembly, I'm noticing that the frame and panels, the uh, rails and styles, are uh, where the joints come together, are not happy. Like, one is much lower at the corner, and then the other one is really low at the corner. What we realized is when I gave him all of the parts to sand... I think it's like 32 individual parts, uh, six frames in total. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think he, he wasn't used to my sander and wound up sanding the corners of these rails and styles a little too aggressively. So he actually thinned them out. So when you go to marry them together as uh, rail and style in the final frame, they don't agree. They don't meet with one another. One is lower than the other. And it was, they were bad enough that it was a complete do-over. So wow. now that's rough. That's a tough pill to swallow. The good thing though is that was... Three days of work, three days of getting to know each other, getting used to the shop, uh, but only one day, basically, eh, let's give it a day and a half to catch up to where we were, and we're actually better off because of a couple little tiny compromises we made up to that point. We didn't have to make those compromises the second time around, and I didn't have to film it the second time around, so it was much faster, (laughs) and it uncovered an issue, and what what it comes down to is it's, you know, communication. What he wanted to say was, Mark, I've never used that sander, and usually when I sand a narrow piece like that, I'll put two of them together, and I'll go over to the MFT and sand them that way to prevent tilting. And I usually just sand it by hand. I, I hold the sander in a certain way so it's nice and balanced. And we kind of talked about it, and it became a really good discussion point to uncover the reason why it happened in the first place. You know, so th- there's definitely good that came out of it, but I'm sure it was a, a, a tough pill for him to swallow, and I was kind of unfazed by it. I mean, I know this kind of stuff is going to happen. Now, if that happens a few steps from now and we have parts that are ruined, then I'm going to kick him out. 
but yeah. uh, <laughs> right now, <laughs> right now, it's all good. Look at this three strikes crap. Yeah, exactly. It's two strikes and you're out. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this this is all good. He's having a really good time. I'm enjoying having him in the shop. So super stoked about that. The other thing is kind of big news. We launched a new website at the Wood Whisper. So if you've been there within the last uh, couple of days or over the weekend, you may have seen something that looks a little different. And uh, we've returned to a much more simplified structure with content forward and very easy navigation that is uh, looks beautiful on just about any device you use. And uh, John Funk has really outdone himself with the design of this one. So we're super proud of it. So if you can go to the woodwhisper.com and check it out, let me know what you think. How long have you been working on that? Months and months and months. I feel better. It's, it's been a long, (laughs) see the, the idea was we weren't happy with the last one. So we're like, all right, this isn't working. What can we do to make this work? And that's the problem. Yeah, we keep, he was too trendsetter. It, it, it technically like the back end, really cool. Like a lot of the things that we did to make that what it is were really awesome, but it was something that just like we missed the target and, and really things have gone back to a slightly simpler dynamic just because of the, you know, multi-device sort of thing that websites have to be able to do. You have to simplify to a certain extent. So it just wasn't working. So we can, the whole thing started over from scratch and now have a framework that we should be able to grow with and make small changes that have a big impact as opposed to like totally scrapping everything and starting over again every, every year and a half. Yeah, so that, that's actually a big fear of my website design because there is so much cool stuff going on on the back end. Yeah. <laughs> that I'm afraid I mean, it's been like a year almost now. And granted I've had developer switchovers, but people are going to be like, that's it. Yeah. All this <laughs> like, work. And that's all you did. All that <laughs> to <Seriously>? make something <laughs> just to make something simple. That looks good is a lot of work. Right. And if it looks simple, chances are the behind the scenes that make it look simple, not that simple. And, and is somewhat future proof. I know that's impossible yep. to do, but that's the biggest issue that I found this whole responsive design thing kind of threw everything upside down and you had to completely change like down to the fundamental structure of a website. If you can get like four to five years out of a website, then I think you've absolutely succeeded in picking a platform that you can grow with. You know, if, if you have to overhaul it in that period of time and scrap a whole thing, then you may have made the wrong choice, but yeah, it does change too much. A lot of people are like, why, you know, why does your website change so much? And it's, that's what it comes down to. We're looking for a framework. Because <laughs> I'm crazy. <laughs> because I just can't stop myself. Uh, because the environment changes. The needs change. And things that we did on this website using certain symbols that have kind of become second nature to people who have, uh, you know, smartphones and things and devices. Now, these things be, have become universal as part of user interfaces. Well, two or three years ago, they weren't so universal. So, you know, the, what the site we built today would not have necessarily worked a couple of years ago. So these technologies, you just got to keep rolling with it. So our, our goal is to do that without impacting people, you know? And so anyway, we're talking too much about in-depth. Well, but I, I think I can stuff. bring it back around because it is, I'm truly excited about like website design now because we're kind of turning a corner. As you just said, there are some things that are now in the common vernacular, if you will, the symbols and things like that, yeah. that now we can stop like, Stop the origin story. There we go. Now we're going into comic books. You know, we don't have to tell that Bruce Wayne was, his parents were shot. You know, everybody knows. Spoiler. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Don't know that by now. How old is that story? 75 years old? Come on, get with it. But we can now like take a next step into design. And if anything, if my research in furniture design has taught me anything, it's that furniture design is generally like behind everything else. You know, everything else changes first. And, you know, it used to be silver and textiles was the big deal. I think technology is probably at the forefront of that now. So the changes that are happening and the design kind of paradigms that are coming into vogue now on the web are things that are going to start to inform other stuff like clothing and furniture and things. And you're starting to see new furniture forms coming into being because people sit there staring at their phones a lot, right? You know, we're not staring at a TV necessarily anymore. We're staring into our laps at a tablet. Or something. So you're seeing furniture that is smart furniture, quote unquote, smart furniture. So, you know, it is all interconnected. It's something to think about. You can derive a lot of design ideas by the avant-garde. And I think the avant-garde is the web right now. I'm thinking, there we go. What was that? We brought it back. What was that movie? Is a Pixar movie where the, the, um, big people are riding around in their little things with their 40 ounce drinks and their screens. Yeah. Wally. That's the kind of world I, w- I want furniture like that. <laughs> yeah, that was a Simpsons episode. I'm pretty sure. But. Can, we, can we get there please? Cause that would be great. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's enough for me. Uh, Matt, what's going on? 
<laughs> 10 minutes of what's on Mark's bench. I know, right? Good, huh? Jeez, let's get the hell out of there. <laughs> Um, I was working on my trim projects more this week, so I got um, my casing, a few of them all hand sanded and finished applied, and I was spending the afternoon here doing some install. So uh, it's kind of interesting, like, going into that kind of stuff, like trim trim or finished carpentry from being, like, a, a woodworker or, like, a furniture maker, because it's, like, a totally different thing, but I try and, like, I'm still trying to make everything all perfect. I was like going to say, do you find the adjustment difficult or do, do you like the fact that it can be a little less precise or are you trying to, to bring that precision <laughs> to the, the trim where it doesn't belong? Um, I don't think I'm trying <laughs> to bring it where it doesn't belong yet. I've definitely gone a little overboard, I think. like um, So I have an inside corner for my um, my baseboards. So those are typically, you'll, you'll cope them. You'll cope one of the, over the other one to no, make it No blind there. dovetail? No, no, I could do that. Blind, whiter dovetail. Ridiculous. Inside blind. That's what Shannon would do. That but, sounds like something the Green Brothers would do. Actually. Yeah, it is. Or, or more importantly, they would demand that the Hall Brothers do. And the Hall Brothers would be like, yeah, sure. There's a blind dovetail in there. <laughs> nice. So for that, for the inside corners, I'm coping and doing a, a lap miter on the very top. So it looks like it's mitered, but it's actually coped. Okay. Nice. So that's it, huh? Just the trim? It's very boring. That's, I know. Well, <laughs> I, I slabbed a little bit over the weekend to get outside for a bit, but... I did see another picture. Big, giant slab with you and your boy. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Is that a verb? Slabbed? Slab. I th- it should be, if it's not. It should be. I hope yeah, so. I think, the, I think there is a woodworker's dictionary that is a little bit different than other people's. <laughs> uh, definitely, for sure. Uh, Shannon, what's going on with you, dude? Oh, man. Um, I'm starting to make a transition into Matt's world where I've got to think about carpentry, carpentry and trim work. <laughs> um, <clears throat> there's a, just a, a lot of stuff that's kind of built up around the house. And it's kind of like, you know, ah, we'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. And finally, it's like, you know what? I'm paying a mortgage on this house. I want it to work. Like, I want <laughs> things to be nice <laughs> in it. <laughs> you keep putting it off because the quality of life starts to get affected. So um, we had a... a, a uh, our shower, we had it completely redone about a year ago, and it has not drained properly since then. Ugh, and, uh, you know, I had to basically take apart the entire drain and figure out what was going on. And fortunately, it wasn't nasty organic manner in there calling <laughs> it up. It was the actual – it was during the install. Like when they put the the caulk around it, I guess there was too much. And when they put the basket strain in, it kind of spooged up and down around the bottom of the the drain. So there was the drain was actually half of its <laughs> diameter because this this stuff had cured. So I pulled it out and peeled it all off and you know sealed it up, put it back in, and it's like the sound of like water draining. It's like wow, I forgot what that sounded like. But of course, while I was down there, I was like, well, we need to fix the sink. And before I knew it, I was at Home Depot three times just to deal with like a simple plumbing replacement. <laughs> nice. Five hours later and multiple trips to Home Depot, I finally finished the plumbing stuff. So finally got into the shop and I finally got a chance to take my new Veritas um, shooting plane for a run. And it's sweet. Nice. Very cool. I, you know, obviously it's old news. They've been around a while now, but that's the, the frustrating thing sometimes because woodworking is now becoming like technology where like things become obsolete. Like I just got my iPhone. Oh, that's good. A new one comes out next week. Like, great. Um, I feel that way with some of the woodworking stuff. Like Mm -hmm. Veritas keeps innovating new tools. And the last thing I needed was a dedicated shooting plane. Mm -hmm. I have one. Oh, and I also have this really great, you know, low angle Jack that I've used for years and years and years. Why do I really need a shooting plane? And it wasn't until woodworking in America when I got to actually spend some time, with one of those dedicated planes. And this was what, two years ago now Yeah. Um, on the, the vote super shoot or whatever he's calling. It. It's not called the super shoot anymore, whatever the shooting special thingy. Um, <laughs> I got a chance to try that and, and really got to feel kind of the mass and how stable that plane is as it's cause it's, it's actually trapped in a chute. You know, it's got an outboard a rail that actually holds it up against things. And it really just kind of takes any of the technique or guesswork out of shooting. And then a lot of people thinking, I didn't know there was technique to shooting. Well, you can screw up a board on a shooting board Mm -hmm. if you don't have the weight and the pressure just right. This kind of eliminates all that. And there is so much mass in this thing. It was sweet. So I was shooting panels and was definitely 
um, let's say in danger of making the panel too short. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is awesome. Having Listen too to much cool fun. sound it makes. Oh, wait, I should check to make sure where my line is. Nice. It's like, oh, goodness, I almost made that too short. That's cool. So, yeah, very cool. So You know, and I think people like um, Benchcrafted is a good example of a company that continually iterates <laughs> on their designs. And you can, of course, yeah. Power Tools, certainly Festool does this a lot too. Um, but Benchcrafted is one. It's, it's interesting when it happens more in the hand tool world because that's where the world just kind of moves a little slower. You don't expect that to happen as much there. I mean, I've been eyeing that, the whatever, the glide is what it's called, the leg vice one, right? Mm-hmm. And then the the, the St. Peter's Cross dealie underneath it. Yep. None of that existed when I built my workbench. No. And yeah. the cool thing, <laughs> the, the, all the cool kids when I was building my workbench <laughs> was using the big wooden screws. So I have a big wood screw on my vice and I love it. But, you know, I, I can't help but be tempted by all the people going to their shops and give the wheel a spin and the leg vice slides <laughs> in and out, you know. And the fact that, you know, at first I was like, I don't care about the St. Peter's Cross. I don't mind bending over and moving the peg. And now I'm like, man, I really want one of those. Right? Now Benchcrafted comes out with a retrofitting kit. And it's like one of these days I'm going to break down. Just like I broke down, I bought the Veritas shooting plane. But yeah. it might take a couple more years. Dude, wood screws are so 2009. <laughs> right so ridiculous yeah. anyway i wanted to compliment you on your, your use of the word spooge oh good so anyone uh, i wouldn't recommend looking that up uh i thought I, was, I thought I was the only one over here giggling about that i heard that and i said that is that the word he wanted to use <laughs> but he used it so there it is in so many different things a noun a verb an adverb uh i would call Spoogely. it a verb so yes all right let's uh Let's spooge on over to what's new. Uh, let's keep uh, digging ourselves deeper in that one. Uh, first one I have here is from a show called 10 That Changed America. I guess this is a PBS program. I've never seen it before. But uh, Daryl uh, Peart shared this on his Facebook page, and I thought it was great. Just a quick look at the Gamble House. Now, if you're not familiar with Green and Green, or you've heard us maybe mention it on the show, you want to know more about it, watch this video. You're going to see some details inside there, a little bit of a sort of historical look of how this this whole thing came about with the bungalows and the ultimate bungalows in Southern California. It's fantastic. I'm fascinated by this stuff. Uh, Every time I think I'm done with Green and Green, I watch a video like this, and I just go, man, that's my happy place right there. Like going into that place was such a transformative experience for me. So if you're ever in Southern California, it's in Pasadena, uh, you have to arrange for a tour, go see the gamble house. Even if you don't like the furniture style, you have to appreciate what has like what went into the design and execution of an entire house that essentially boils down to a, a one giant piece of furniture and then little pieces of furniture inside that piece of furniture. Um, but this video kind of captures a lot of that. So go check that out. We'll, uh, we'll embed that if we can. Cool stuff. Yeah. I like it. Do you know this is like the best month ever because it's your favorite month? Uh, is it uh, donut month? Oh, I hope it is too. Free, That'd be awesome. Free donut or bad allergy month? Is that my favorite month? <laughs> <laughs> Splinter month. Splinter month? That's right. What month no, is it, Matt? It's National Woodworking Month. Whoa! Whoa! I didn't know there was such a thing. Yeah. Who determines these things? That's what I want to know. Rockler. I think Rockler made it up. They invented it. Oh, Just nice. like like Safety Week. What what dumb... Okay, I'm going to watch my language. Yeah. What dummy came up with that? Okay, so it's National Woodworking Month. What does that mean, Matt? You know, it's just... Uh it's like Woodworking Awareness Month. Get out there in your shop, do some woodworking, and uh, maybe share the craft with uh, someone you know or love. Interesting. Did you say share the craft or share the crap? Share the crap. <laughs> share the crap. Share that crap. What's the difference? Build stuff and share that crap. Same, same. <laughs> cool. Nice. Well, good stuff. Well, there is a, an interesting thing. There's this this longstanding rivalry between woodworkers and knitters, yeah. which does, doesn't really exist because I think we just made that up on this show. But yep. Nick sent in something that is a rocking chair that knits while you rock. So you can actually combine. This could be the bridge that re, that reunites, that unites the knitting and the woodworking world. So, you know. There's that. Is that Bob Lang on the chair? <laughs> no, he doesn't have a ponytail. It's not Bob Lang. <laughs> very uh, cool. He's been kind of quiet lately. I guess he's been building a rocking chair that knits. <laughs> that knits. Yeah. It's a very <laughs> important thing to do. It makes a nice hat while you're sitting on it. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, another very cool thing is uh, you may have seen this this week. A Toyota's Setsuna concept car is pretty damn amazing. So it's a um, this is an article on The Verge, and you will want to check out these pictures. Uh, I don't know much in the details because I don't read. I just look at big fancy pictures when I go online and it's pretty amazing. I mean, the whole thing 
made out of wood, comes apart. I read something that there's really no uh, metal fasteners in it. It's using joinery that just kind of allows everything to lock together. But they t- and these pictures are great. They take the whole thing apart. You can kind of see the kit as it's laid out. And uh, this will be showing at an upcoming um, concept car show, which is pretty darn cool. So does Toyota have a contract with Ikea to distribute it? I hope so. Does it come with the Ikea instructions and the Allen key? The right. one, the one <laughs> Allen key. That's the only tool you need. Yep. Uh, yeah. And it's pretty amazing. I mean, if you look at even the, the seat details where it's basically like the contours that they put in these things with like curves and multiple dimensions, which is what you need for seating to be comfortable, right? Um, each plank is just precision crafted to, it just looks comfortable, which, you know, it is not the easiest thing to do when you're talking about wood. Uh, but it, it's really well done. Uh, I'm very impressed. So I'm curious to see how real this thing is and like what, what they do with it in terms of like the actual concept car. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, check it out. Good stuff. Yeah. We've seen wooden cars before, but not from like Toyota. Yeah. True. Man. It's just like <laughs> some hobby brand name. Yeah. And this thing is actually meant to go somewhere and do things. So I don't know. We'll see. Very cool. Good figure. <laughs> well, Mark, since you'd like to just look at pictures on the internet, you might get a kick out of this. <clears throat> Have you seen those videos? They mostly live on Facebook where it's like a recipe and you see like over the course of a minute, people like dump a bunch of stuff into a bowl yeah. and out comes this. This is so old. Very like, I totally want to eat that. Yes. You know, I saw one the other day that was like sliders cooked in the oven and I was like, I'm making that. This is that meets a woodworking box video. Yeah. And he literally takes sticks of wood and like he's got them in measuring cups and dumps them into the mixing bowl and mixes them up and they like turn into different parts and things. It's just very clever. I like it a lot. I do. And it's been around since December. I've seen it like a thousand times. But the one thing I will say about this, give this dude kudos because this is the kind of video that someone would just post on YouTube and then someone else would take it and excerpt it and put it on Facebook and they would get like 16 million views on it. But this person did it right. And they actually made the like a video that was shareable in its current format and posted it on Facebook. So I haven't really seen much in the way of people taking this video and doing something with it. It's always this guy's video. And he, he actually has 16.3 million views on that. Now, Here's a little bit of a social media lesson. As great as that is, right? 16 million views. That's insane. The page that this comes from only has 23,000 likes. <laughs> so there's your lesson in, uh, in, in, you know, striving for the perfect um, viral video is sometimes, you know, unless you are consistent about making great viral videos, it probably doesn't impact things in the long run, you know? No. Um, but <laughs> ultimately, very, very, very cool. for And especially since it looks like, the, looking at the website, it's just the kitchen countertops and cabinets contractor. Like, the last post they did was this video back in December. Wow. Hmm. Right? I, th- I find it very interesting when I see stuff like that. I always find it interesting. Oh, like, never mind. I didn't no. realize this video was that old. This was sent to us by John, by the way. I don't yeah. know if I said that, but um, this is the first time I've seen it. So it's yeah. interesting how seriously, yeah, this yeah. has been around forever, man. Like, oh. like because we, of, we often joke. Me? We often joke. People will send things to you, and you're like, "Oh yeah, here's that again." But then you think, well, you know, this person actually saw it for the first time. So now I get to be on the other side of this and going, this is the first time I've ever seen this. Yeah. And it may be that, you know what? I might have seen it before, but just thought it was one of those recipe videos. It does. It looks, <laughs> just like looks strolled just like right it. by it in the timeline and never it even like noticed. cheese sticks so. or something? Yeah. She's making some delicious cheese sticks. Oh, and, and I do stand corrected. They have been posting. It's just this one is pinned to the top. Oh, okay. So he has been posting since then. But that's my point. A video goes viral, 16 million views. But what's the actual take home? for that. He's not getting revenue from Facebook and right. he only has 23,000 likes on his page to show for it. I mean, which it, means when he posts to his Facebook page, three people see it. Three people. Exactly. That's 20, how Facebook 23,000 likes equals about three people that will see that post. Yes. It's very unfair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were complaining about that quite a bit this weekend. Um, I think we need to do like a business related show. We tend to veer in that direction a little too often. People anyway, it is ask for it. So I guess, yeah, that said, it's a great video. Go watch it. Yeah. All right. Let's cool. get into so. our kickback. Got a couple of voicemail kickbacks that we could pour through here. Uh, first one's from AJ. He's upset and confused. Oh no. Mark, Shannon, Matt, Matt. I have so many questions. What the hell's going on? It's AJ in Connecticut. Where the F did Matty D come from? Where is Matt 2.0? Why didn't you guys even address it? Why are you guys talking like Maddie D had never left? 
<laughs> was this a pre-recorded episode? Are you just <laughs> messing with us? Ah. Whoops. I, I, I don't even know what to say. I don't know what to think. My, I'm listening to this a couple days after April 1st because, you know, you usually put out a show this times. So I wasn't looking for it. My mind is racing. I don't know how to handle this. Please inform I, us, but really me, on what in the world is going on. If Andy B is coming back, that would be amazing. I like him at 2.0, but there's no replacement for original Matt. <laughs> Original extra Just cookie. Don't tell me I said that. <laughs> Just don't tell me I said that. <laughs> right, well, thanks for that, AJ. Sorry for the confusion. Now, the guys, you probably already heard the last episode. The guys explained a little bit of what happened there. It was meant to be a joke, but we've, in the past, I think we have done stupid April Fool's jokes, which everyone tries to do, and we're over it. And at this point, we really don't want to do any true jokes. So we figured, you know what? Let's have him on. It's the anniversary show, but let's do it as if nothing ever changed. Like <laughs> the show just goes on, you know, and I thought that would be funny, but extremely subtle, probably too subtle. Um, ultimately, it was just a good show and hopefully you guys enjoyed it and uh, you don't feel like you were duped or anything, but some people did get the joke, it seemed like, but not many. So, uh, yeah, our bad, but it was it was cool. It was fun having Matt back. Uh, all right, let's move into, who is it? Tim. Tim has a Dato stack kickback. Wait, why is the volume so low? Hold on. Here we go. Hey, what's up, guys? Tim from Chicago calling. Just thought I would give you a little uh, inside info on the Dato stack, the reason that you need to offset it. Not so much for a kickback, but it's because the carbide cutters on the ends of the plates are actually wider than the plates. And if you put the cutters next to each other, the plates will bow. So they need to be staggered so that the cutters overlap one another. That's all. Just thought I'd pass along. Great show. Thanks a lot, guys. Okay, now, we knew that. I knew that. I don't think that was the, the issue. The question was, if you have two teeth that are located, you know, right next to each other or near each other, because it's wider, was that really the source of the kickback? You know, that's kind of where we were going with that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it, it's, it is something that's, like, pretty common with dado stacks that they have to be offset like that. Um, but I think what we were trying to figure out is, did the double stack of teeth creating just this, like, monstrous tooth is that what was causing the problem for him? I don't know. I mean, that's that's a pretty dramatic surface to offer up to the board all yeah. of a sudden, you know? Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was thinking too. But, but yeah, generally speaking, you got to look at the details on your your stacks. But you know, most times you do have to offset them for for because that's the way it works. The teeth will hit each other, but also offsetting them means you're kind of alternating the you know space between the teeth, making it a little bit more of an efficient cut. At least that's my interpretation of it. Okay. Diami has some kickback here. You know Diami, the angry New Yorker. Gentlemen, <laughs> <laughs> hello. This is Diami from Modern Woodworkers Association. I am calling in response to your guilt question for episode 300. And uh, let me just take a second to wish you guys congrats on reaching 300 and now you're well past 300. But to get back to the guilt question, first of all, I'm a New Yorker. I don't feel guilty for the fact that I'm calling with his answer three weeks after the episode is. It is what it is. Uh, the next thing, guilt about woodworking? No. I would work the way I want to. You guys would work the way you want to. Everybody else should woodwork the way they want to. There is no wrong way. Enjoy yourself while you make it, and there is no guilt. Guilt is for life. This is woodworking. This is what we love. Go enjoy it. Yeah, what he said. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah. that voicemail... <clears throat> is exactly why we got kickback this week about the voicemails being too loud and <laughs> <laughs> how how we might want to run them through a filter beforehand because people listening with headphones lose things like eardrums. Did we? So, I didn't see that. We got feedback about them being too loud. Yeah. Really? Let me read. It that. was in there. That's somewhere in there. They sound it like was in there somewhere. But it's not the first time either, so, you know. Hmm, interesting. We do actually pass everything through a compressor for those who care, and uh, it should not be that bad. You might be exaggerating, or your earphones might be messed up, or you just might be crazy. 
because uh, the last thing I'm going to accept is <laughs> all that all those I, things are possible. Yeah, I, the last option I'm going to accept is the one that I did something wrong. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, so next one here we have is from Joel. He says, "Great to hear Matt V on the show again. I wanted to offer my two cents on the issue of clamping out bows and/or side bends. Many thanks to Shannon for clarifying the difference between those two terms. I've always had good luck using the fingertip method. If I can close the gap using only pressure from my fingertips, then I feel I'm okay to put the glue on and clamp it down. If I have to squeeze with my whole hand or arm or use a clamp to close the gap, then I'm not ready for glue. Obviously, this can be tricky to measure if I'm working with wide boards, but the wider the board, the less likely I am to be able to close a visible gap using just my fingertips. I'm sure I read about this somewhere, but I don't remember the source. Joel. Well, thanks for that, Joel. I remember reading that somewhere, too, or hearing that somewhere. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Right here, right now. Yeah, we must have said it. It was us. (laughs) We just did it today. (laughs) We'll take credit. (laughs) (laughs) All right, this next one comes from JJ. He says, in episode 303, you suggested to file or sand the edges of your chisels to avoid cuts from chisel work. I think this is not a great idea. An alternative suggestion, which works for those of us that don't work as often as needed to develop tougher skin, is to use (laughs) special tape to wrap around your fingers. It's tough enough to protect and flexible enough to let you work. I've used it with great success, and he le- drops a link onto Lee Valley where they make it. I believe it's this blue kind of almost like a like a it looks like a first aid kind of gauze type wrap thingy. Um, oh yeah, and here's the feedback that says your is. audio is uh, <laughs> crappy. So thanks, JJ. We addressed that before you addressed it. I hit a bottom um, line is this stuff is captured from you know, uh, from Skype. And a lot of times it's a cell phone calling in. There's only so much we can do to make that sound good. It's, it's, you know, crap in crap out is what you get. So it's either that or no voicemails. Now regarding the chisels, uh, I think JJ, if he, I think he left a comment on the website or if he didn't, somebody else did. Um, I'm not talking about like putting a chamfer on the back of your chisels. You're talking about just the tiniest little bit of, of like high grit sandpaper just to keep them from being super, super sharp. I wouldn't even call it altering the tool. It's very subtle, Mm -hmm. but you know, if you want, you can wrap your fingers with something that will deaden your sense of touch, which I definitely don't want to do. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I've it's, you hear this a lot about, you know, people will, some people will use gloves when they're working with chisels and other people won't. I chisel work to me is such a tactile thing. Um, you know, very little of it is actually reliant upon sight. It's feel and the sound of the chisel working through the wood. Anything that's going to get between me and feeling the chisel, I don't want to do. So, um, but it, it's a, you know, there's a product out there for it. So by all means is another alternative. If you're afraid of, uh, defiling your chisels. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Good deal. Woodwork how you want to woodwork as uh, Diami said, right? That's right. Do what you're there aware you yeah, <laughs> unless I don't agree with it, and then that, then it's wrong. Then it's just wrong? Yeah. Good enough. <laughs> this one's from Wayne. It says, Mark, please don't leave Shannon in charge anymore. Okay. <laughs> Let's just end it right there. That's good enough. <laughs> no no explanation needed. <laughs> uh, save it from having to stumble through the rest of this. Uh, Shannon dissed the Baltimore Woodworking Show. <gasps> millions of listeners in Maryland. Millions of listeners. <laughs> In Maryland, will no longer attend the show, and there, now there will not be, now there will be no more woodworking show in the luxurious Cow Place, and Cow Palace. Cow Palace. Oh, Cow Palace. Oh. Yeah, it's at the Maryland State Fairgrounds, and it happens in the Cow Palace. It's, was it really? That's yes. uh, it's pretty. Sounds pretty elegant. Legit. It's awesome. <laughs> elegant is. <laughs> nice. And I will have nothing to look forward to all year, and I will have nowhere to spend my Christmas money. Thanks, Shannon. Just because you're scared of power tools and the noise they make, you have to ruin it for everyone. All kidding aside, please don't diss the woodworking show. I, for one, love it and look forward to it all year long. Asking questions at the woodworking show and asking a home center are a very different experience. In my club, the Baltimore Baltimore area turners demonstrate at the show every year, and it's a great weekend. As a goodwill gesture... I would like to offer Shannon a free 2017 membership to the Baltimore area turners, invite him to bring his trail lathe to our booth for a weekend and demonstrate. He will talk more and turn. He will talk more than turn. And I guarantee his opinion of the working show will change. Hmm. There you go. So you get a free membership and you get to work. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. (laughs) It sounds like a good deal to me. 
<laughs> Go for it. Well, man. since I've dug the hole already, um, <laughs> millions of listeners in Maryland that won't yep. attend the show. How many people went to that show last year? This Are year, you? I should say, in, in 2016. I'd be curious to see what the metric is, but I would be surprised if it was a million. Are there millions of people in Maryland? Considering Woodcraft had to close because there wasn't enough business in Baltimore, I'm thinking maybe no. There's so, only 5.9 million people in Maryland. Yeah. Do we have millions of listeners anyway? <laughs> Uh, I think if you multiply it out for every show, how many people listen, and if you call them like unique listens over the course of like the entire existence, we may be approaching something like that, but yeah, probably not. But, but, you know, in all seriousness, I do appreciate it, Wayne. I certainly didn't mean to diss the show, but I, you know, I think we've talked about this in the show before. I'm at a point in my woodworking where I don't really need any tools. Um, I know you can hate me for that, but I'm not in a tool acquisition mode and that's really what that show is kind of about. Um, If it has changed to be a lot more educational than my bad for just not having been in recent years. But I mean, it's a place to go. Most people know you can go and get some in show deals and things like that. So it's just not, it's not a priority because, you know, I'll I'll end if I, if I go and I end up buying something, it's something I didn't need. So To my knowledge, it's, it's, they, they have gone more educational. That's been part of the point and more social. And that's like, you know, what's made the show survive as long as it has. Um, but, you know, truth be told, I haven't been to one because they haven't been out to my area in a long time. Uh, but things I know about it seems like it is way better than it used to be because I would, I would complain about it too before it was under the, the current ownership. Um, but I do think they are getting a lot more focused on education. Well, I will make sure to go in 2017. Yeah, yeah, and check it out. Just at least get, so we have some kind of informed opinion. But Matt, you were there, so did you give any there. rebuttal to this uh, to the, the Atlanta show when Matt or when uh, Shannon was dissing it? I don't know. We talked about last week. Um, it was um, <laughs> sorry. sorry seem to remember you weren't too happy with the one in your neck of the woods. Yeah, the one. The one you didn't here diss was, it. It was a lot smaller, and if if I wasn't going to like meet people and I was just kind of going just to be there. Yeah, it probably yourself. wouldn't be that exciting for me. Okay. Um, but the one in Atlanta was a lot bigger. There was a, a lot more to see. There were a lot more people. Had a kissing booth. We had a kissing booth. You know, I got nice to kiss a lot of people. Your lips were chapped when you were done. Oh man. Oh, it was rough. It was really rough, but it was, it was a good time. It was, there's a lot of stuff to see. And, uh, we talked about last week. It's, I really, I prefer the woodworking in America. Um, marketplace because they have more things that I care about. Like um, the example I gave last week was the Bosch, the Bosch booth. I don't need to look at Bosch power tools because I can do that at my home center. Yeah, you know, but I can't go look at Chris Vesper tools at my home course, center right, or whatever right. Hamilton marking gauges or whatever. No, well, you know, sense. that that is one point that I can definitely side with Wayne, the guy that sent this in, is there is no other alternative in the Baltimore area. There is a woodcraft like way down near D.C. that for those of us that live in Baltimore and points north, that might as well be the moon because it's like the worst traffic. <laughs> I don't know. And of course, the L.A. listeners are going to have problems with that. But it's it's just far enough away that it's just not worthwhile. There's not a there is not a woodworking store within a two hour drive of me. So um, he brings up that, you know, it's easier to ask questions or better to ask questions at the woodworking show than at the home center. And that kind of makes me laugh. But when you think about it, that is the only other alternative to go to Home Depot or Lowe's. Yikes. And yeah, as uh, Ron Swanson would say, I know more than you. <laughs> Except for in the plumbing aisle. Yes, that's true. Then, then I need help. Uh, all right, let's move into our featured topic. This one is inspired by a question from Caleb in Gilbert, Iowa, almost at Arizona, Iowa. Uh, He says, I recently found your podcast. So sorry if these questions have been addressed. And I think he's specifically talking about me here. He says, love Wood Whisperer and am really enjoying the podcast. Find myself constantly Googling different terminology throughout both shows and, and learning a lot. He says, do you have any regrets making your hobby a career? What would your project portfolio look like if you were still just a hobbyist? Are there any tools you would get rid of if you stopped working as a prof- at a professional level? Uh, and would your level of guilt, and he references episode 300 where we talk about woodworkers' guilt, would that change if you were no longer working professionally and had deadlines to meet? Keep up the good work, Caleb. So I figure what we would do is kind of apply this across the board to all three of us. Now, one misconception that he has here is that I'm a professional woodworker. I'm not. I'm a professional video producer. And I happen to produce videos about woodworking. So I, you know, to me, there's a huge difference between that. I don't make a living by finding clients and building projects for them. Um, I sell anymore. 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 I did at Mm -hmm. one point. 
I don't do that anymore. Um, so I do would work a lot more like a hobbyist, but I have a business around it. So the three of us do have businesses focused on content production and earning money from that, which I think is also still an interesting question to ask the same questions he just asked about, you know, being a pro content producer versus just being a hobbyist and doing what you want when you want. So I think let's, let's uh, tackle these questions from that perspective in this way. All three of us have something to uh, contribute here. So, uh, regrets is kind of interesting. So, um, Matt, I think you're newest to making this shift. I'm curious at at this point, kind of early in in the process, would you say that you have any regrets in, in turning your love for woodworking into an online money-making venture or (laughs) money-making venture, making some money venture? I'm going to go jump in my pool of money. Um, (laughs) Scrooge McDuck over here. Yep. Um, I'm a little over a year into, into the transition. And honestly, I think I probably should have done it earlier if that's my only regret. (laughs) That's that's kind of a cop out answer, but really I've never been happier and it's just been a really fun ride. So if I, who knows where I would be now, if I started a year earlier or two years earlier, you know, other than that, though, I really don't have any real regrets, maybe financially, but at this point, I value my happiness more than, you know, how thick my pocketbook is. Sure. Good answer. Uh, Shannon, what about you? Anything you regret at this point? Um, th- that I'm not doing it full time yet. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Because um, you, you're doing the balance of like you're still doing you're yeah. doing it at a pro level in terms of making revenue and running a business. But you're also yeah. holding down your day job. Well, and, and to put it plainly if my day job wasn't at a lumber yard i would have gone full time with renaissance <laughs> woodworker hand tool school uh 5 or 6 years ago yeah. um it it's put another way the business is self sustaining enough that i could have done that mm-hmm. long ago um but uh, you know my biggest regret right now is i'm i'm spread too thin um and things are starting to suffer and you know ultimately the w2 job at the lumber yard that one trumps the other one because it gives me health insurance and stuff like that. You know, I mean, I'm reporting to somebody. It's easier to, to, you know, put a little bit of priority in that. But, you know, my biggest regret is that I haven't been able to do even half the stuff that I want to do with the hand tool school because there just hasn't been time. Um, and that, that's kind of the, the master plan hopefully in the next year is to be able to do that, to be able to focus but it'll be a very, very tough decision for me um, because I, you know, it's I am still working in technically a corporate America, but it's a small business. But it's still it's you get a taste of that self-employed and this is what would happen. And I know that I can make it work. And I've yeah. seen that I can consistently, sustainably make it work now. It's very difficult, you know, to get up and commute <laughs> right now. Oh, I bet. But, um, you know, as far as what it's done to my woodworking, I don't know. Um, I don't think I would be making less than I am now. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I think in a lot of ways, the, the content production has forced me to make more. Sure. Of uh, course. It's actually only in the last year when things have gotten really, really busy at the lumber yard and a lot of stuff in just kind of my personal life has had to take more of a front seat that, um, I've had to kind of dial back content production um, on my two different sites to the point where it's kind of pathetically slow right now. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's been years when, you know, I've turned out 30, 40 pieces and done videos. For yeah. Them. Right. So, um, yeah, I think in a lot of ways that's driven me to do more. Uh, you know, my situation when I did go pro, I did immediately regret it. Cause I'm making a lot less money. It was a lot harder. I had all these, like, instead of you work for yourself, right. And you think, Oh, I don't have a boss. No, that's not true. Every new client is your boss and you have to deal with that situation and you're building things you don't necessarily want to build because you have to build them and you need to make money because you have a mortgage to pay. So it did change the dynamic for me in a very negative way. So I didn't, you know, I definitely found myself going, I'm not sure I want to go in the shop today. Um, the best thing I could have done for myself was to go into the content production side of things, because now as a content producer, I do produce projects and build projects a lot more like a hobbyist because I build what I want to build. And then I just have to document it and, and you know, craft a project or something, a product out of that thing in order to make that facilitate running my business. Um, so I, I, as a woodworker am much happier in this, it's, it's this weird combination of pro 
but not necessarily being a pro woodworker. So I, I am making money from it, but I'm doing it the way I want to do it. And to me, that is something that is a sustainable way to love the craft. And, and I might go a little slower because I'm documenting every little detail, but I'm still producing on a regular basis in the shop all the time and, and loving I won't say every minute of it. There's times when I do have to go to work and I don't feel like it, but you know, like anyone else, but I I would much rather be doing that than anything else. Uh, ultimately is what it comes down to. Um, so, uh, portfolio, what would it look like if you were still a hobbyist for me right now? I think Shannon, you kind of touched on that already. Um, I would have probably fewer things. If this was just a hobby for me, I've got other hobbies and I've got other things to do, but it's the content production that keeps me on a schedule. Uh, yeah. So I would actually have a lot fewer things made in my portfolio uh, if I were just doing this as a hobby. What about you, Matt? I would have a lot more. You like, think so? Like a lot, lot more. Because I wouldn't be like spending all this time editing video all the time. I'd be back in the shop That's making true. stuff. The video editing is an issue. But do you have anything else, like not to get too much into your personal life, but do you have any other <laughs> hobbies that you like to do? Because to me, hobbies tend to ebb and flow. You know, and people who have multiple hobbies tend to spend time in one during a particular season and maybe they go golfing uh, all summer long or something. Um, I, I used to like take the summer off from woodworking just because it was hot in the shop and I was, you know, it's nice to have summertime and we're in, when it's like always cold around here. So mm-hmm. you kind of take advantage of the summertime months. But otherwise, I'd be out in the shop, I don't know, like 30 to 40 hours a week just building stuff. Nice. Now, now I'm doing content production. I may be out there if I'm lucky, eight or 10 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah. See, it's the weekly thing. Like I, I agree. There's a lot of time spent in the office, but I'm there in the shop every week, like regardless. So that the grand total over the course of the year to me is more content or more uh, project production, I guess yeah. you could say. Well, and it's interesting because I actually think that making <clears throat> filmmaking, if you will, in a generic term is kind of a hobby. I truly enjoy it. Yeah, the technical um, to side me, of it, it is adds fun. a lot to to the the stuff that I'm building, and you know I've gone a little bit off the deep end in the last year, especially with the hand tool school videos with framing different angles and you know, <laughs> yeah. creative lighting and stuff like that. And my camera gear has gotten a little ridiculous, but it's fun. You know, I was gonna that say, you, is you, you, actually my hobby now. I've got ridiculous stuff that I don't actually need. Yeah, isn't that the definition of a hobby? Yeah, you can't you can't tell me you're not excited when you go to you know B and H Photo and buy a new camera. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Have you seen the new Hasselblad camera? It's only thirty two thousand dollars. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a hundred megapixel still. An excuse to get a new editing rig. You know things like that. <laughs> I mean, that's stuff to geek out about. So, yeah. Um, all right. So different tools. Um, if you were doing this with no one watching, right? No audience whatsoever. Would your shop look exactly the same as it does today, Shannon? No, it wouldn't. <clears throat> um, interestingly enough, it's not the way you would think. I probably would not have the Grizzly Planer. Huh, and really? And that has that has nothing to do with anybody watching. It's just sometimes I I got to pick up the pace. Yeah, you know, when yeah. when I've got a bunch of panels that need to be surfaced, it you know, and and, and you can only show milling by hand so many times on camera. So, uh, you know, I run them through the planer and get done with it so I can move on to the next shop, uh, to the next shot. Um, if there wasn't that video deadline or whatever, I don't think I would use that thickness planer much at all. To wow. tell you the truth. Interesting. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't have that, but no, the, the hand tool thing is, is a passion. Um, I, I wouldn't change that ever. It has nothing to do with speed or who's watching or anything. That's the way I like to work. No matter what Diami tells me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, cool. All right. And, um, Matt, how about you? Would you change anything tool wise? Um, I probably have more to be honest. Yeah. Just because I think a lot of the times when I'm buying things now or or when I'm purchasing things, it's more like, uh, I know people are going to be watching me. So it's, and maybe not everyone can afford these things. And so I find myself using like the, I don't know, like the the cheaper method to do things or like to use what you have kind of method. A lot of times, like I bought a domino before I went before I started making videos and I started making videos, I'm like, I don't really want to use this domino all the time because it's not as interesting content to watch someone mm. just banging That's out a, a bunch good of domino. I'd probably things. own one of those. I'd probably buy a domino. I'd be afraid to see if I lose my ability to make a mortise and tenon joint because I would use, <laughs> I would probably use the domino on every dang project. Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> I mean, it's hard. It's, it's hard to deny it's, it's uh, usefulness, but in a video, you're right. You just can't use it all the time. Uh, let's move on a little bit quickly uh, here because we're running out of time. Uh, would your level of woodworker's guilt change? I kind of relates to the tools in a way. Um, if you were no longer doing this professionally and I think 
yes. If And again, it comes down to the audience. A lot of times the guilt comes from the fact that I feel like I should be showing a certain way to do something or I'm not doing it the right way. And I, I, I sort of ahead of time think about the audience reaction and that that makes me feel guilty in a certain sense. So without a doubt, I would definitely have a different level of guilt or a different concern about that guilt if I didn't have the audience. Um, what about you, Shannon? Um, to, to some respect, I mean, I wasn't part of that episode when you did it, so I never got to voice my guilt. But, oh, okay. um, I think it would come down to right now, the guilt that I struggle with is not getting enough stuff out. Yeah. Um, you know, when things get in the way and, you know, I think the last video I put out was almost two months ago mm-hmm. that bothers me to my core, um, yeah. because I, I do truly enjoy it and I know people enjoy it. So, um, if that wasn't there, then. <laughs> who knows what pace I would move at. <laughs> right. Right. All right. Cool. Um, Matt, what about you? Anything guilt wise that would be different? I think same as you. Yeah, exactly the same. Cool. All right. So we, uh, need to talk about our sponsor, Harry's. You guys know Harry's. We talk about them all the time and you know why? Cause it's awesome. And, uh, their, their cartridges fun. last a very long time. Sometimes, maybe a little bit too long. And I think Shannon had an experience recently where <laughs> he changed it. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I use these things to death to the point where, you know, you get used to, and as woodworkers, we can understand this. You get used to a tool being a little bit duller to having to push a little bit harder, or in this case, pull a little bit harder on that razor. Well, I changed it and, uh, put a fresh one in and went to uh shave and it, it, it was, <laughs> it was startling how easily it cut to the point where I was like, Whoa, back off the pressure there, buddy. You're going to draw blood. So, um, yeah, maybe you should change it more often <laughs> yeah. since, since the razors are cheaper, you probably should change it more, change that cartridge more often it's, and take advantage of the cheap pricing. It kind of reminds me of like sandpaper sometimes, or even planes, you know, you, you go a little too far and it kind of slowly creeps up on being dull and that it isn't until you change new paper or put in a new blade that you're just like, oh my God, why did I wait so long to do this? Yeah. Uh, definitely makes a difference. Uh, well, Harry's is the only shaving company that has both amazing quality and low prices. They feature German-engineered five-blade cartridges that produce a close, comfortable shave, no cuts or burns. Quality is guaranteed, and they'll give you a full refund if you're not happy. They cut out the middleman, so you get to take advantage of the factory direct prices, about half the price of the competition. And everything is shipped right to your door. Over 1 million guys have already made the switch and thousands more switch every day. Why pay 32 bucks for an 8-pack of blades when you can get them for half price at harrys.com? The Harry Starter Set is a great option for new customers and it's an amazing deal. For just $15, you get a razor handle, moisturizing shave cream, and three of Harry's five-blade German-engineered razors. Plus, there's a special offer for fans of the show. Harry's will give you $5 off your first purchase with promo code WOODTALK. Go to harrys.com right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Enter the code WOODTALK at checkout and you will save yourself five bucks. So check them out. Harry's.com. Good stuff. Let's get into our email. I've got about five minutes before I need to take care of my baby. So how do we get this done in five minutes? We do it very quickly. Um, I'm going to sum it up. Dave has a question about his jointer. He's getting a tapered cut and it's tapering, like taking more material off of the front end of the board and less off of the back. So by the time he gets to the back of the cut, the blades are hardly cutting. Now to me, this sounds like he's questioning his technique, but to me, this sounds like a calibration issue. Uh, I would definitely go through the whole calibration process because that can be very tricky to nail down um, because it sounds like his tables are not sort of on parallel planes. So if the if the outboard side is kind of tilted down at the edge, it seems like as you get most of the board over there, less and less of it's going to engage the blades. So I think you might need to tilt that up. The far end of the outfeed side might need to come up a little bit, but calibration is the key. The, the thing about a jointer folks is if you have to think about it that hard, something's wrong. The jointer is not like a complicated calisthenic sort of maneuver, <laughs> right? It's it, when it works and everything's calibrated, it should be very easy and also very forgiving of how you push the piece through the, the tool. If it's not, something's out of calibration. So that's my recommendation. Matt, you're up. <laughs> this next one's from Eric. He built a table with breadboard ends. He started out in the shop and then brought the, the table inside and the tabletop shrunk. So now the breadboard ends are a uh, 16th of an inch proud on each side. And he wants to know what he can do about that. Should he trim them back or what? I would probably leave them because I'm guessing this is probably a pretty recent thing. So it was probably drier in the house than it was in the shop. So in the summertime, the tabletop is going to expand back out again and it'll be flush. That's kind of the thing about breadboard ends. They're going to be flush like twice a year. 
and that's <laughs> right. about it. Not much you can do about that. But I, I, I would not cut them back because I think it look, looks better having them proud than having them be like recessed back, having the tabletop wider than the breadboard ends. Yeah, yeah it, it looks, looks really weird. weird. It when does. it goes yeah. the other way, it looks weird. Yeah. So leave them. Leave them. <laughs> leave them and see what they do. You know, he might, you can always make an adjustment later. That's true. You can always cut them later. Can't put them back. That's right. All right. Uh, Ruben said that uh, I have a large Lee Nielsen um, open throat router plane. It works great on datas and grooves where I have plenty of board on each side of them, but I've run into some issues keeping it flat when I'm close to the edge. Uh, what he means there is that it because the throat is open, it actually kind of drops into that recess and it's difficult to hold it flat. So he wants to know thoughts on whether he should get a closed throat router plane. I don't think you have to go quite to that extreme to say, okay, I'm going to go get another router plane. Although I do stand that that is probably the most useful joinery plane in the shop. So it probably wouldn't hurt to have a a second router plane, but um, there are are ways to handle this um, where usually just some increased pressure on the other side of the plane can help you with that um, to keep it a little bit flat, or you could put an auxiliary base on it. Um, I don't know about the Lee Nielsen. I know the Veritas has holes to allow you to screw it on, but if there's not holes there, use double stick tape, Mm. you know, so take, take a a board. I even went so far as I bought like a quarter inch thick piece of plexiglass at home Depot. So I could still see through it and see what I'm doing and just double stick tape it to the bottom of the router. And there you go. You know, now, of course, you have to cut a hole in it so the blade can go through the plexiglass. That will definitely give you a lot of stability. Or you can bring another board up that's the same thickness kind of on the uh, off the the board that you're routing on to give you a little bit more support when you get close to the edge. Where this falls apart and where a closed throat router plane would be nice is if you are working on the edge, like on the three quarter inch or one inch thickness of the board, then there's not a whole lot you can do there. And that's where you need a closed throat router plane. Um, If you find yourself doing a lot of work on edges, you're generally dealing with smaller routers and grooves. And I'd recommend just buying one of those smaller um, router planes, uh, not the the large one. So auxiliary plate for the bottom, a board on the outboard might help. Or just a little bit extra pressure on the side that's that's actually touching the board, and you should be uh, covered. One of those three will work for you. Cool. All right, and I just found out I have a couple more minutes, so we do have time for our voicemail from Mike. Uh, so I'm going to play a voicemail. Brace yourself, JJ. Here it comes. Hi, this is Mike from Grand Junction, and I have a question about sharpening. In episode 296, horse butt, Shannon said that he uses a strap to put the finishing edge on his tools. I use a buffing wheel on an electric grinder, and I was wondering if there are any advantages that strapping has over using a buffing wheel. Thanks for all that you guys do, and have a great day. What do you think, Shannon? I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. Um, I know um, Chuck Bender actually is a big uh, proponent of using a buffing wheel. Um, I took a carving class from him years ago, and you know he's got this huge like 12-inch uh, wheel grinder over there that's got a buffing wheel on it, and it was kind of things start to get a little dull, flip the thing on, go over and, you know, just freehand it because, uh, the, so that would be probably the one drawback I might say of a buffing wheel is it's a lot softer than a strop, especially a horse butt strop. So there's more of a chance of it rounding over. It's called dubbing the edge. Um, depending on the tool you're using, um, it's not even really that big of a deal. I tend to think that the dubbing issue is more overstated than it needs to be. It's something you need to be aware of. Um, but you know, if you're as long as you're not like stropping the tool for like six years straight, I think you'd probably be okay. <laughs> you know, if you're occasionally taking it back to the stone and refreshing that edge, you'll be all right. But you know, using a, a buffing wheel like that, it's super fast, um, and you can really bring up a high shine quickly. So no, I don't think it's the same thing, right? You know, I mean, I guess depending on the abrasive you're using, it's practically the same thing. Right. I. I personally don't have a, a, a buffing wheel in my shop, so I've just never really used it. I like the strop because I can keep it right there on the bench and it's not in the way. I don't have to walk over to the sharpening station or the, I know it's probably only like four steps, but in the heat of the moment, it's nice to just have it right there. A couple of quick swipes on the strop and I'm back to work. Um, having to go to the buffing wheel actually means I have to stop what I'm doing and kind of engage a different hat, if you will. So sure. that would be the one disadvantage to using a buffing wheel. Okay. Good to know. Well, hey, did you guys know that you can support the show if you wanted to? Really? Yes. I, I would actually accept donations from both of you. It's fine. 
Uh, <laughs> we would do that if you wanted to. Uh, but listeners, if you want to, you can help us out with a recurring donation or a one-time donation. Just go to woodtalkshow.com, look over in the side column, and you'll see the links for that. And uh, we'll mention your name at the beginning of the show, like we did for some of the, the fine folks who helped us out last week. You can also go to twwstore.com to pick up a t-shirt that says Wood Talk on it. It's pretty nice, really high-quality materials. Uh, we don't go cheap here on this show. And if you want, you can go into iTunes or whatever podcast directory you use. Uh, look us up and leave us a review. And the higher, the better. Definitely the higher, the better. Um, we had a couple from uh, the last couple of weeks. R. Culpin, Matt at Lou's Wood Design, uh, Wilding Woodworks, and New Hampshire Harvey, which is a great <laughs> name. Uh, like New Hampshire that. Harvey says, congrats, nine years? Holy pants. I can't believe it's been, it's been that long. Holy stretchy pants, he should have said. <laughs> and the show just keeps getting better and better. I know how much time and effort you put into this, and I can't tell you how much I and the rest of your listeners appreciate it. Awesome, awesome show that I look forward to every week. And this entire review comes with no wisecracks. That's true. It, no. it actually doesn't. We shouldn't have read it then. No, it makes me sad. I get no, no wisecracks or sonnets. Let me Jeez. go find another one. Uh, but yeah, that's about it. Shannon, you want to give them the contact info? We'll get out of here. Okay, then. Gosh, I forgot I had to do this. It's your job. I was drunk on power from the last show. That's right. <laughs> if you have uh, comments, questions, or topic suggestions, you know where to get us. You can leave a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. You can call our voicemail line, 623-242-5180. Or you can use our fancy schmancy contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash spooge. I mean, contact. <gasps> Whoa! Um, <laughs> leave us a comment on our Wood Talk <laughs> Facebook page. Finally, if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show, our previous episodes, go over to woodtalkshow.com and you'll find everything you need right there. And then there's our sites too. It's something, Wood Whisper or something. And yeah. Cremona's fancy shop.com and renaissancespooge.com. That's, that's too far, Shannon. Do too not far. go there. We have right. children. Woodworker.com. There are children Slash. listening to this show, sir. Rain it in. Okay. Okay. Have a great week, everyone. We'll talk to you later. Support your woodworking shows. 